Last night, I did a special live episode of the Peter Schiff Show for my premium members on Locals. I went live at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Sunday night. The entire video is about 90 minutes long, and just over 70 minutes are Q&A. I decided to post my introductory remarks, which took about 20 minutes, on my YouTube channel and on shiftradio.com so that non-premium members can watch some of last night's special episode. If you want to watch the rest of the podcast, go to shiftradio.com slash premium and sign up. You'll be part of my locals community. It's only going to cost you $5 a month. And if you're not satisfied with the extra content, you can cancel whatever you want. So watch this introduction and then join me on locals to watch the rest. That's shiftradio.com slash premium. We've got the markets in Australia, New Zealand, Japan, and these are the first to open. And we didn't get a big spike in the price of gold on the open. Although what happened is after I did my podcast yesterday, which I recorded right at 4 o'clock Eastern when the New York uh, market closed, gold spiked about 15 bucks in late trading. So if you're in the GLD, which is you know the exchange-traded fund or any of the gold mining stocks, they did not get to react to that extra $15. Gold was really up about $75 an ounce on Friday. One of the biggest days I've ever seen in the price of gold, maybe not percentage wise, but one of the biggest dollar days I've seen. So in after hours trading now, Sunday night or Sunday Monday morning out there in uh, Australia, Japan, um, the uh, gold is trading off about $10, $11. So it's still higher than it was when I uh, recorded my last podcast. But the reason that gold is pulling back right now, and in fact, if you look at stock market futures, and I'll pull them up, the markets are trading higher. Dow futures are almost up 200 points right now. And the uh, NASDAQ futures about in line, the small cap, Russell 2000 are the strongest in after hours trading. This is a relief rally that I don't expect to last. And here's where the relief is. So over the weekend, there was a lot of drama in Europe and it really started Friday evening and it kind of continued up until Sunday afternoon. And the drama was that uh, uh, UBS in Switzerland, the largest bank there, was going to buy Credit Suisse, which is the smaller troubled bank that I've been talking about on this podcast for some time. Credit Suisse shares closed at two bucks on Friday. You know, this stock was what, $60, $70 back before the 2008 financial crisis, and it's been steadily declining ever since. So, first, uh, the news was out that there was going to be some kind of merger. But then UBS was backing away because they said, look, we can't touch this unless we have government guarantees. We can't buy these assets unless the government agrees to pick up any losses that we may occur, which, of course, is a great deal for UBS, right? Because heads they win, tails uh, the Swiss people lose, right? Because they're going to take the upside, but they don't want to have to deal with the downside. And so there were some rumors that, okay, the deal is going to fall apart, right? Because they're not going to get this government backstop. Well, I guess uh, the Swiss government caved because, you know, Sunday afternoon, 
before markets started to trade in Asia. They had this whole deal worked out before the Asian markets opened. They announced the deal. And UBS got what it wanted. It's going to have these government backstops, both by the, I guess, the national government in Switzerland and the Swiss National Bank. And of course, the Swiss National Bank is responsible for the demise of Credit Suisse. Not only did they have uh, 0% interest rates in Switzerland, they had negative interest rates. And that really screwed up banking in Switzerland when you're having to pay to uh, have somebody hold on to your Swiss francs. It really was a disaster. And so this is just one of the consequences of that monetary policy madness. And, and really, what the Swiss bank was concerned about was the level of the Swiss franc versus the euro. They did not want the Swiss franc to, be, to get too strong against the euro. Well, that was a mistake. The European Union was doing a lot of foolish things that should have weakened the euro. And the Swiss would have been better off just allowing their currency to appreciate instead of screwing up their economy. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you don't want to mess up the curve and you know, your, your buddy is flunking. And so instead of getting an A, you decide to flunk yourself, right? That's basically what the Swiss did and kind of, you know, having policy for the lowest common denominator. And that's why the Swiss National Bank's uh, balance sheet is so bloated, but not with Swiss government debt, because the Swiss governments are a lot more fiscally responsible uh, than uh, the rest of Europe or the United States. And so Switzerland loaded up on U.S. stocks, right? The Swiss uh, National Bank has a huge sovereign wealth fund full of uh, U.S. stocks, which they should be unloading if they if they were smart. They you know, they the Swiss people wanted to force Switzerland to buy gold and they had a referendum and it got voted down. Of course, you know, they would have been a lot better off owning gold uh, than these other assets. But in any event. The news that this, you know, uh, bailout rescue package went through. That's why there's some relief. Now, it's not relief for the shareholders of uh, Credit Suisse, because I said that stock closed at $2. These are the ADRs in, in the U.S., because the stock trades here. Both UBS and um, Credit Suisse have ADRs that trade here in the U.S. And so Credit Suisse closed at $2. If you look at the stock deal, it's all stock, right? So if you own Credit Suisse, you're now going to get stock in UBS and no shareholder approval is needed. Nobody gets to vote on this, right? It was an emergency. And so it's happening whether the shareholders want it to happen or not. Uh, so UBS is going to be buying it. I think it's around 22 and a half shares of UBS for each share of Credit Suisse. So it, it values Credit Suisse at around, you know, 75, 80 cents a share, something like that. It, obviously, it depends on re where UBS opens. Um, I mean, maybe UBS will get a pop out of this deal, right? But we'll see. But based on where UBS closed, the Credit Suisse shares, again, are worth about 75, 80 cents. So that's the lowest the stock ever traded. It closed at two. The intraday low on Friday was $1.75. So if you try to take a punt, right, if you bought that stock Friday and you picked up some shares at a buck 75 and you thought you were looking good, right? Well, you know, if you held it overnight, you're going to, you know, you're waking up with like a 50% loss. So very risky to try to catch a falling knife when it comes to these banks. But I think it's going to be bearish for other banks now, you know, so I, I don't think this is bullish news for the, um, 
the, 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 uh, the bank stocks, either in Europe or here in the United States. Meanwhile, the rally in the st- gold stocks is continuing in Australia. Uh, Northern Star Mining, I'm pointing out this one because it's one of the ones that we own. Uh, actually, our value fund, if you're a, a shareholder of your Pacific value fund, we own shares of Northern Star in Australia. It's up 8.5% on the day. Newcrest Mining, which is another gold stock that we own in our value fund because our value fund actually has an allocation to gold stocks. That stock's up 7% right now. So we are seeing some strength, obviously follow through because these stocks didn't react to the big up move in the price of gold. I mean, gold was up maybe 10 bucks or so during the Australian time zone on Friday. But then we had the huge gain when we came into the you know, New York hours. And again, I expect uh, this uh, sell-off in gold, and if you could even call it a sell-off, because we're still higher than we were when the U.S. stock market closed on Friday. But I think this little $11 decline, 13 now, I doubt we're going to have much more downside. I think this market is going to turn around. We should be over $2,000 an ounce um, by the time uh, you know the New York market opens, I would imagine, on Monday. But I think the rocket fuel for the next Fed, the rally in gold, is going to be the Fed meeting, the Q&A, and their decision. Because, look, either they're going to hike by 25 basis points and signal that they're pausing. Right, they're going to hike, and they're going to now we're going to look around. I actually think they're not going to hike at all. I think they're going to stay uh, pat, and that's maybe a twenty-five percent probability. Right, so the markets are still seventy-five percent that the Fed's going to hike. So if they don't hike, gold's going to go ballistic. But I think even if they do hike and then indicate that they're pausing, I think it'll also go ballistic. Now the wild card would be a cut if. Um, the Fed actually cuts rates, which wouldn't be out of the question that they did that. Um, and, I, I, you know, they can rationalize it by talking about how much has changed since, you know, their last conversation that, you know, this uh, banking crisis has come out of left field and uh, the reaction in, you know, oil, if it's still where it is or, uh, you know, they could justify it. I don't my forecast is not that that's going to happen. I'm just saying it's not out of the question. And I'm not ruling it out. Uh, and if it does happen, I mean, gold's going ballistic under under that circumstance. I mean, if Powell says, you know what, we're hiking 50 anyway, and we're going to keep on hiking, and you know, we're going to have to hike even faster to offset quantitative easing that we're now doing. If they do something like that, well, everything's going to crash. But I, I don't think that that's going to happen. I mean, I, I think that's even that's less likely than a cut. But I mean, it certainly is within the realm of what could possibly happen. Because, right, the ECB, they raised 50 basis points. That's what they were supposed to do. But they're only at, what, 3%. I mean, they're still super low in Europe with an 8.5% inflation rate. That's you know, So they even have higher inflation than we do in the rearview mirror, yet they have much lower interest rates. So, I mean, they're even further behind the curve right now. So it's even harder to square that monetary policy, especially when you consider how aggressive the European Central Bank was when they were 25 basis points below their 2% target. And uh, now they're, you know, uh, 650 basis points on the other direction and they're, you know, they're dragging their feet. I mean, a half a point is nothing. They're not even doing quantitative tightening. And by the way, 
Lagarde no longer talks about being close to but less than 2%. That's what they were talking about when they were under 2%. Now their goal is 2%. All of a sudden, they don't want to be below 2%. They want to just be at 2%. Well, they're never going to get to 2%. I mean, they may eventually, but it's not happening anytime soon. Inflation is going to be a big problem on both sides of the Atlantic for many, many years to come. I just think it's going to be a bigger problem in the U.S. than it will in the Eurozone. <clears throat> anyway, take a quick drink of water. By the way, I'm drinking out of my Ron Paul cup. Just in case you're wondering who's, uh, whose face that is on this cup. Anyway, I got to mention Bitcoin. A lot of people are giving me shit about Bitcoin. Bitcoin is now over 28,000. So, I mean, Bitcoin, Bitcoin was down at, what, 16, 17,000. Uh, it just recently got back to 20,000. And then QE, or the prospect of the return of QE and the Fed pivot, sent Bitcoin up. Look, all the Bitcoiners have been saying Bitcoin's going to rally when the Fed pivots. They've been waiting for this. This has been what everybody's been waiting for. And now it happened a lot sooner than people thought, right? The Fed all of a sudden went from, we're going 50 basis points, everything's great, to, oh my God, back to QE. We just did 300 billion um, expansion in the balance sheet in, uh, in, a, in a week. And I think the balance sheet could hit 9 trillion next week. I mean, who knows how much they, they've already bought since we got the last numbers, right? But they're working in overdrive to buy up uh, treasuries and uh, mortgage-backed securities. But so everybody... All the Bitcoiners kind of rushed in to buy. I think a lot of people pulled their sell orders. Maybe there were some shorts that covered. And, you know, Bitcoin is kind of decoupled in the short run uh, from the, the stock market just going way up. Although, if you look at the tech stocks versus the Dow, the tech stocks have held up better in this correction than the Dow. And I still think that's really where Bitcoin strength lies. It's from the speculative uh, type of investing. And, you know, so when we see that the Kathy Wood ARK uh, ETF and other type of tech stocks, when they really roll over again and they start underperforming the Dow and the, again, which they will, Bitcoin's going to roll over too. I don't know which is going to lead and which is going to follow. Maybe Bitcoin will crack first and then the techs will follow, or maybe the techs will go down first, and then Bitcoin will go down. But they're both going to go down. This is a sucker rally. Yeah, they, it's a bigger sucker rally than I expected. But, you know, we're still not at 30,000. You know, we're 28,000. Looking at the charts, you know, it, there's a long way between where we are now uh, to the 69,000 high. And there is a lot of resistance up there. Um, so I do not think... This is Bitcoin's moment in the sun. I think this is a last, you know, gasp of a dying a token and the entire crypto uh, experiment is going to end in failure. But this is going to be when gold really comes up. And, you know, the reason that I was always suspect, I mean, you go back to, um, you know, when the Fed first bluffed about hiking rates, you know, back when when Yellen was around and it took them so long to raise rates and they, they you know, they, they raised a lot less than everybody thought. And then they started cutting rates. The reason I've always thought the Fed was in this box and they couldn't raise rates because I knew that raising rates would cause a financial crisis. And I kind of thought maybe the central bankers knew that, too. 
And so they would be reluctant to actually raise rates, although they would talk about it, but not actually do it because they didn't want to actually show that they couldn't. Uh, but when inflation got so high, you know, they kind of had no choice and they had to go through the motions. And we've now finally, finally uh, are experiencing the financial crisis that I always knew would happen. I always said from the beginning, we never finished the 2008 financial crisis. The government cut it short with QE and 0% interest rates. And because we didn't finish it back then, we left all that unfinished business. So really, this financial crisis is just the rest of that one. And there's a lot more left because during the interim 15 years, we made the problem so much worse that we actually have undone all the progress that we were making deflating that bubble. So now we're starting from an even bigger bubble, a higher level. So this is an order of magnitude greater than the financial crisis, which is why I think it's going to play out differently because the Fed is going to just come out full guns ablazing, QE and do everything it can. And, and, and then, you know, the inflation runs out of control. The only alternative is that they do the right thing and they don't bail anybody out and they just allow the massive crisis, but I don't see that happening. But even if that does happen, hey, U.S. government's got to default on its treasuries. You know, that's got to be good for gold. Even if we don't have hyperinflation, a default on U.S. treasuries, where are you going to go, right? Because you can't go to U.S. treasuries when the treasuries are in default. So uh, I think either way, gold wins. But uh, from everything I've experienced, everything I've seen, the Fed is going to, uh, you know, print. The Fed is going to cut. Uh, and inflation is going to run out of control, and they're just going to have to figure out who to blame and what excuse to, to put forward for that. And it won't happen right away, right? You're not going to see, like, the surge in inflation, like, the next day. Like, it's not going to start, you know, next week or probably even next month. But by next year, it's really going to take off. But we're not going to, you know, go back down to 2% first. You know, we're, we could even creep up. But then, you know, when the dollar really tanks and, we really start to see the impact in commodity prices. Um, that that's that's going to happen. 